Well, we come now to our scripture reading for our sermon, which is continuing our series in the book of Acts. This comes from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And I'm going to read those aloud for us. So friends, hear God's word, Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me And we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these words, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Pastor Ben, for reading out that passage. And go ahead and keep that Bible open as we turn uh, now together uh, to God's Word. We're in the midst of a a sermon series in the book of Acts where we're looking at how Luke, the author of this book, is telling a story. And the story that Luke is telling is a story of good news and the progress of that message of good news from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And Luke is telling this story not only for historical reasons of, oh, that was interesting, that happened that way, uh, but to tell us God's purpose that this message of good news would continue to make progress to all nations across all uh, racial, socioeconomic uh, boundaries and barriers to the ends of the earth. And we've been looking at how that story uh, is unfolding. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, opposition externally to this uh, new movement of Jesus' followers going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And their opposition is what we often call persecution. 
And uh, the persecution was real, and it is real today across the world against Christ's followers. That pressure that some of us uh, even feel these days, perhaps at work or in various environments, even in the Western world, and then the violent persecution that is a true reality for people today. And they also were experiencing um, real persecution. But our God is a powerful God. As we saw last week, God uh, not only protected his people, but through the power of this good news message led to the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, the apostle, to all nations. And so the very persecutor became the preacher to further the story of the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, this morning we're looking at what I think is perhaps one of, if not the most significant story arcs underneath this overall story that Luke is telling in uh, the book of Acts and perhaps even in the Bible. That's a strong claim and I want to demonstrate it for you this morning. Not only is it one of the most significant, I also think it's one of the most relevant Relevant to the many issues that we're facing today of distinction, discrimination, division, anger, name-calling, racial friction, hate. And here we have a story where uh, God defeats all that. And I've called it how God defeats religion. Now, obviously, I'm using the word religion in a particular way this morning. That word religion is sometimes used just to describe uh, religious practices of different religious groups throughout the world. But the way I'm using it today is as following. Human invented religion. Human invented religion. And in that sense, in a very powerful way, Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is actually the anti-religion. It is the vaccine that defeats the virus of religion. And religion uh, can be something that is related to supernatural ideas, but it can also take place in secular forms. Indeed, there are various very powerful ideologies around today that almost and sometimes explicitly claim themselves to have a religious appeal, a huge ideology. And one of the hallmarks of religion that we'll see in this passage here and is very common today and has been common within church history, one of the hallmarks of this kind of human-invented religion is that it generates rules which, if you keep, make you feel better than other people and therefore erects, builds barriers between you and others, barriers of distinction, discrimination, division. And here God defeats human-invented religion. Let me show you how that works. Now, we're going to have to do a little bit of um, thinking this morning. I hope you won't mind that. It will be surprised by that. Uh, sometimes uh, I've been criticized for giving people too much thinking. And then sometimes I'm criticized for giving people too little thinking. Well, if you think sometimes you get too little thinking, you're going to get a lot of thinking this morning. What is this religion here? And what do I mean by it being human-invented religion? Well, Peter is telling a story And he's telling a story in Acts chapter 11 about what God has done. 
and what God has done to defeat this human invented religion. And as he tells that story, Luke uses a particular Greek word that's translated in different ways in the passage. And I'm going to make the case that in this story arc that Luke is telling here, underneath the overall story of the good news going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, in this particular story arc, because of the context of this message here that Luke is telling, it should be translated in the same way to indicate what Luke is, what Luke is communicating. And that particular Greek word is called diakrino, diakrino. And there are different forms of it here. It first occurs, you've got your Bibles open, in uh, Acts chapter 10 and uh, verse 20. And there the Spirit is talking to Peter. Peter gets this vision from God to go with Cornelius. Cornelius has a vision too. He's going to bring together Jews and Gentiles, all nations, under the overall message of the good news. And the Spirit is speaking to Peter about this. Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 20. Rise and go down and accompany, accompany them without hesitation. And that word hesitation there, behind that is the word diacrino. It's translated without hesitation because in the book of James, it means that kind of wavering, hesitation, doubting. And so the translators here and in other versions translate it without hesitation. But the same word, if you come with me in your Bibles to the passage we're looking at this morning where Peter summarizes this story that he's been through for those who are criticizing him, same word, Acts chapter 11 and uh, verse 2 It says this, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, or literally those of the circumcision, criticized him. And the word diacrino there for criticize is, it's the same word behind it, different form of the word, but the same word behind it, criticized him. (laughs) That's interesting. But then again, the same word is in uh, verse 12 of this passage where Peter now relays what the Spirit has said to him. Remember in Acts chapter 10, verse 20, he describes to those who are criticizing him what the Spirit has said to him chapter, uh, in chapter 10, verse 20. And this is how Peter then, in the, our translation, now relays it. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And I'm going to make the case that that no distinction is how this word should be translated throughout this story arc. So in our translators here, that same word now in chapter 11, verse 12, is translated making no distinction. But the story carries on. Chapter 15, where this story arc of human invented religion that uses religious practices to generate a sense of self-righteousness and therefore barriers between you and other people, making a distinction, making a division, making a discrimination across racial, socioeconomic lines. That same word, chapter 15 and verse 9, when the Jerusalem Council get together to sort out this problem in the church, this internal problem of division and distinction. Chapter 15, verse 9, uh, uh, Peter then uh, describes what he had heard back in chapter 10 in that story, And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, come with me and see then what I think Luke is saying. Come back to chapter 10 and verse 20. And then let's look at it this way. The Spirit says to Peter, 
rise and go down and accompany them, that is the Gentile unbelievers, the uncircumcised, those who are not keeping the religious rules of Judaism, rise and go down and accompany them, making no distinction. Making no distinction. And then chapter 11, uh, verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, that means those Christian believers who were not only Jewish, but were holding on to the practice of circumcision as necessary for salvation, those of the circumcision criticized him, or, as I think it should be, made a distinction between them and Peter. Peter had gone across the barrier to the Gentile side. He had become ritually ceremonially unclean, and therefore those of the circumcision put a barrier between them and Peter. They now made a distinction between themselves and Peter. And then uh, chapter 11, verse 12, as Peter recalls uh, what the Spirit has said to him, he says, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And then chapter 15, verse 9, when he recounts the same thing again later in this story, he says, God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So what's going on here in this story arc is that religion, defined this morning as human invented religion that generates a sense of self-righteousness and therefore creates distinction between you and others who do not follow your human invented rules, God defeats. He breaks it down. For his intention is that the good news of the kingdom will go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, making no distinction along racial or ethnic lines. Now, I hope you can see how relevant this is. We live in a day when racial um, division, hatred, anger is very prominent. And not only that, in church history, there have been times when religious rules, even biblically rooted, biblically taught religious rules, have been used to make distinction. But what the Spirit is saying through his word, what the Spirit was saying was to Peter is, now, in Christ who declares all foods clean. In Christ, where circumcision of the flesh is no longer necessary or required, in Christ, there is now no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles just meaning nations, all nations. There is now no distinction. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, it was through his flesh, it was through the cross, he abolished the dividing wall of hostility, the barrier, the distinction, the discrimination. He abolished it to make one new man, to create unity around this good news of the message of the kingdom going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And this religion can infect church history. It can infect uh, Christian ideology. Uh, this message of circumcision in the, in the Bible, it was a God-commanded act in the Old Testament. 
But the message even of the Old Testament was always that Abraham, called by God, would, would through the faith of Abraham, the message of God would go to all nations. It was never meant to exclude the Gentiles, but to be a light to the Gentiles. And now that Christ has come, it is time to take that message to all nations. And those of the circumcision didn't understand that. They used this biblically mandated message that now Christ had come, had been removed. They used that to build a barrier between them and other nations. And well done then. When they heard Peter, they realized that God was on the move and that if they didn't get on with what God was doing, they were therefore opposing God and they turned to God with great joy that God had even granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. But this human-invented religion can even take place within secular forms too. There can be a secular ideology that has almost a religious connotation whereby if you follow certain ideas, if you follow certain practices, if you wear certain clothes, if you use certain terminology, you develop a kind of self-righteousness. And everyone who's not part of that group, you can look down on and create a distinction, a division, a discrimination. You can see that in the extreme form in in Nazi uh, Germany. You can see that in the extreme form in communist Soviet Russia. This ideology that takes on almost a religious overtone and therefore creates a distinction, a discrimination, and there are all sorts of ideologies around today that are tempting to do the same kind of thing. How does God defeat that religion? For God and his purpose by the Spirit is that the good news of the kingdom would be for all nations. Every single human being on the planet, of whatever color, of whatever socioeconomic class, of whatever background, this gospel will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Persecution. God is powerful. He would not be able to stop it. So we saw last week the external opposition and then this internal religious opposition in the Christian movement in Acts. This human-invented religiosity, that too could not defeat the progress that God, by his Spirit, had commanded in the good news of the gospel going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the picture of this beautiful all nations around the throne of God. Every tribe... A nation, a language, worshipping Jesus. And it is that that is the hope for our day and our age too. We say, that's great. How do you get there? Well, here we see how God defeats religion. And Peter, inspired by God, does some things that he does again, actually, basically the same sort of thing again in Acts 15. It's a series of lessons from us. As we seek to grow up a generation who love each other and are bound together in Christ. What does Peter do? Well, first of all, he tells the story. He says, verse 4, Peter began and explained it to them in order. He tells the story. This happened then this happened, then this happened. 
He gives them the context. He explains the story. The story of what the Spirit said to Peter. Of what the Spirit said to Cornelius. Of how when they came together, when he preached the gospel, the Spirit came upon them. He tells the story. And we too need to tell the story. You know, the Bible is not just a book of memes with special, nice-sounding words. It's not just a book of religious rules that we need to keep. The Bible is a story. And we need to tell the story. Otherwise, it becomes atomistic. We can't see how it fits together. We need to tell the story. Good way to do this is to pick up a really good children's uh, Bible, like the Jesus Storybook Bible. There are others too, that's one good one. Parents, tell the story of the Bible to your children. Not just a story about David and Goliath, but the story of how that fits into the overall narrative of God that the good news will go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria into the ends of the earth and that the Bible is telling that story. As Paul put it in 2 Timothy, scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. That's their purpose. The purpose of the scriptures is not to teach you how to make money. The purpose of the scriptures is not to tell you how to weed your garden. The purpose of the scriptures is not to teach you how to send a rocket to the moon. The the purpose of the scriptures is to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. That's the story. And we need to tell that story. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Parents, tell your children that story. Professors, tell your students that story. Bible teachers, make sure your teaching fits within that story. Peter told them it in order. He told the story. But Peter also recounted his own experience. And uh, he tells them about the vision that he saw in verse 5. And then he tells them what happened when he preached the gospel to them. The Spirit came upon them. Uh, Verse uh, 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. In other words, this is a new Pentecost. And uh, then he he tells his experience of being in that place. We need to recount our experience. Now, we live in a day and age because of uh, the epistemology of postmodernity. Because we live in a day and age through postmodernity, that is, after modernity, this movement of postmodernism in which we all live, where epistemology, that is how we know things, the default mode of most people today, because of the epistemology of postmodernity, is that the only way you can know something is through your own experience. And your own experience defeats, trumps everything else. It's like, I, I feel this. I had this experience. Now, we don't want to cave into that. There is objective truth. There is rationality, uh, mathematics, logic, all hugely matters. We don't want to cave into that. But we don't want to be naive and not use our own experience as, as Peter did here. I was there. I saw the Holy Spirit come on them. This is what happened. If you're a Christian, you have an experience. 
If you're a Christian, Jesus is in your life. Ask me how I know it's true. I know it because he, he dwells in my heart. You, that's not all you. You know it objectively, factually, truly, rationally, logically. There's, there's evidence for it, yes. But you also have an experience. They may disparage your worldview. They may treat your moral assumptions with disdain. But they cannot deny your experience. Talk about how you... How you came, talk about how Jesus won your heart. When I was 13, Jesus supernaturally stepped into my life. If you're a non-Christian, you may say, well, I, I haven't had that experience. If you're someone who's antithetical to the Christian movement, you say, I don't, I don't like that, but you can't, do that. that's something that happened to me. That's not the only reason why I believe. I have rational, theological Biblical, philosophical grounding for my faith. But there is an experience. Tell your experience. Parents, tell your experience to your children. Tell them why you're a Christian. Tell them how Jesus met with you. Tell them how he answered your prayers this week. Tell them, tell them what Jesus is doing in your life today. Peter told them his experience. But he also made an argument he also made an argument he told the story the overarching story of God the gospel going from Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth how Abraham when he was called was called just one but now the purpose of God was that through his faith the message would go to all nations and the whole the Jesus storybook bible that children's book bible and the many others like that that will tell you how the bible fits together he told the story He told them about his experience, his regenerative experience, his relationship with Jesus, but he also made an argument. And the argument is just summarized very briefly at the end of Luke's uh, record of of Peter's speeches. And Luke's record of these speeches, he's almost certainly giving summaries of the speeches. The the speeches are very, very brief. They're they're summaries of what was being said. And so right at the end, there's a summary of, uh, of, of Peter's argument in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? It's an argument. If God reached out to them, gave them the same gift of the Spirit as happened when I believed, clearly that's what God's doing. Who am I? Who am I to stand in God's way? It's an argument. Make the argument for Christianity. Make the argument for the truth. Make the argument that it is Christ, in Christ alone, that all nations can be brought together to worship Jesus, every tribe and national language. Make the argument that this isn't religion. This isn't human invented religion with a bunch of rules that make us feel self-righteous so that we can create a distinction, a discrimination, a division between other people. No, God defeats that. This is grace. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. Look, look how he's, he's doing it all over the world. That the largest churches in the world are no longer in China, Africa. 
that the fastest growing church in the world is, is in the Middle East? Look what God's doing. And if God's doing that, who are we to stand in his way? Make the argument. Tell your experience. Tell the story how God defeats religion, human invented religion, that whether with a supernatural appeal to God or in a secular form, communism, fascism, all these massive ideologies that are on the march today that create barriers, build divisions between people. God defeats that by his grace through his good news so that we all together may bow before Jesus and worship him as he brings the good news of the kingdom from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, historically, perhaps the most famous uh, Bible-believing Christian who understood this was a man called William Wilberforce. But what's often not known about William Wilberforce is he was actually a part, albeit the leading light, but a part of a, of a group called the Clapham Sect. They weren't a sect in our contemporary understanding. They were called a Clapham Sect because they were a group of friends. It was a disparaging term for them, the Clapham Sect. But they met in Clapham, which is South London. They were Christians. William Wilberforce, Thomas Clarkson, John and Henry Venn, Charles Simeon. They all met together, others as well, for decades, working on the social reformation implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were active in prison reform. And they were massively active in the abolition of the slave trade. Now, of course, they weren't the only abolitionists. Uh, Jonathan Edwards Jr., Jonathan Edwards' son, was an abolitionist. And uh, the first pastor of this church, Jonathan Blanchard, was a very prominent abolitionist in his day. But these group of, this group of Christians, the Clapham group of Christians, were prominent in abolishing the slave trade. And they had a rationale for it. They were mentored by John Newton, the, uh, the author of, uh, of Amazing Grace, that famous hymn, who himself had been a slave trader and eventually repented of it and did everything he could to remove the stain of that upon, upon history. And this group had a rationale, a reason for what they were doing. And it's the same reason we've just been looking at today. William Wilforce in his famous small book, a kind of tract on the abolition of the slave trade, he puts it like this. He says, Christ has abolished all distinctions among nations. All distinctions among nations. Every nation are our brethren And they gave their lives to bring about the practical implications of that. Or as Peter puts it, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? Let's pray together.
Our Lord God, we thank you that your message is for all nations. And we thank you for the way we're seeing that uh, message move today throughout the world, in China, Africa, the Middle East, many other places. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, through the gospel you do, do defeat human invented religion that creates rules, makes us feel self-righteous, and therefore generates barriers and boundaries and distinctions and discriminations and separation between us and other nations. We thank you, Lord, that it is your purpose to abolish the dividing wall of hostility, to create one new man out of the two, to glorify you, so that the end, at the end, in the book of Revelation, every tribe and national language will bow before you. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be a part of that movement of your gospel today. We pray, Lord, that we would teach our children the big story of the Bible all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Abraham, that his, through his faith, through the seed of Abraham, ultimately Christ, the message of the good news would go to all nations. We pray, Lord, that we would um, talk about our experience of knowing you. And Father, I pray this morning, especially for those who are listening who don't yet have that experience. They haven't themselves received the spirit of Jesus. Oh, Father, I cannot give them that gift. I cannot manufacture it, but I can pray that you give that gift. Whether it's a church member or a deacon or a church officer, someone tuning in from another part of the world, another part of the country, someone sitting over in the commons this morning, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come upon them now, cause them to come to know you and to leave today with rejoicing. Oh, Father, may it be so. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to make the same argument that uh, William Wilberforce made and others of the Clapham group so long ago, that you, Christ, have abolished all distinctions between nations and it's your purpose that we are now all brothers and sisters. We pray that that promise of yours will be increasingly true today, even in our age of division and racial tension. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Would you be honored? Would men and women turn to you and realize that you are the hope for the nations today? And we ask these things in that name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.